from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As football stadiums around the country enter a dormant state, arenas are coming alive as basketball takes center court in our consciousness. While most sports slow down during the end of the semester and the holidays, it's as busy a time as ever for hoops as tournaments and road trips pass the time for both the men's and women's teams as they look forward to their inaugural games inside the new Exact Tech Arena at the Stephen C. O'Connell Center. On today's show, we'll talk hoops and get a wrap on football during a roundtable discussion with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and get the pulse of the women's basketball program from head coach Amanda Butler. But first, it was a frenetic weekend for Gator sports highlighted by the SEC championship game in Atlanta. So before we dive headfirst into basketball, we wanted to get some thoughts from Scott Carter and Chris Harry on Florida's valiant yet unsuccessful effort to turn away the tide. And you have to have a perfect uh, plan against Alabama. You have to execute it perfectly. And uh, a lot of things have to be perfect, Adam, to beat that team. And nothing was uh, really perfect for the Gators in the uh, championship game. Uh, the first drive you mentioned, you know, it gave a sense to, for the fans there. I mean, you felt like, you know what, maybe this is going to be one of those classic Alabama-Florida matchups that we've seen before in the SEC championship game. But uh, it got quickly faded. I mean, Alabama, just uh, they're just too good. I mean, Florida is not where they need to be depth-wise and different talent level there. But uh, just specifically that game, oh, I mean, you know, it was 7 nothing Florida. Uh, the defense played great on the first couple of drives. Uh, I think Alabama what, had six plays minus seven yards on their first two drives. In the first quarter. Yeah, first quarter. So, I mean, you could the Gators really did answer the start there, uh, which they've done before. Uh, unfortunately, this time, oh, Alabama, you knew they were going to make defensive adjustments after that first drive, and surely but slowly, Alabama's defense started to shut uh, the offense down. Three interceptions, ball snap will be in the first half, obviously, uh, doesn't help, and you know, you're behind, what, 33-16 at halftime, and at that point, you kind of knew that um, it's going to be Alabama's day, and it, it ended up being that kind of day for uh, the Gators and the uh, you know, it's one that uh, they're going to have to uh, put away quickly and uh, I think just get to work on the recruiting trail. I mean, the coaches uh, left Sunday. They were already out recruiting the day after the game. And, and that's where, right now, the biggest difference uh, in what we saw take place on Saturday. That's where it lies, you know, in recruiting. Simple as that. I think we said last week, trying to figure out a way to, to compete with Alabama and to be in the game. And you can't turn the ball over. And mm-hmm. I think I even made a point. Can't let go like into Arkansas and throw a pick six on your first offensive play. Well, they threw a pick six on the first play of the second drive. After a holding penalty, had him in a, yeah. what, a first and 20. Yeah. Forced the ball down the middle of the field late. You know, it's just you can't do stuff like that. And, you know, things flip so quickly after that. But to Scott's point about uh, going out and recruiting, McWayne made the point. Uh, in his uh, press conference this week about about depth and where it can really show up on special teams. And as a person that covered the NFL for 10 years like I did, coach used to talk about it all the time. You know, your special teams is always a reflection of your depth. Mm-hmm. 
and Nick Saban is running Alabama like a corporation, like an NFL team. And <laughs> he's banking, stockpiling great players behind great players. They're waiting their turn, and the way they wait their turn, and they play on special teams. And some of those, uh, I mean, just riveting plays, whether it was long punt return, yeah. whether it was a, a disastrous uh, fake punt. Just, you know, <laughs> and it's funny, Florida actually did score two points on, on special teams, so credit to them. But, I mean, th- that's really where depth can show up in a pronounced way, and obviously it did. But, obviously, talent showed up everywhere else. Depth showed up on special. And before we move on, I mean, you got to remember Alabama's doing this to everybody. And it's going to be interesting. You know, the playoff is here and there's some controversy. But to me, <laughs> it's Alabama and everyone else this year. If there is a team I think that can beat them, I, I probably would pick Ohio State. We'll see how that shakes out because they play Clemson. Mm-hmm. But I see uh, Alabama. I just don't see Washington challenging them. Clemson obviously gave him a good run in the yeah. national championship game, and it was it competitive. Was a good game. And until there was an onside kick, Depp showed up on special teams. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That, that kind of turned the game last year. Yeah, and they're getting their whatever uh, he's doing up there is uh, everybody else is trying to emulate. But uh, until you can get those kind of players <laughs> consistently, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's the players at the end of the day, and he's got them stockpiled. Now that you saw it in person. Is there that big of a gap between Alabama and everybody else? And with what you saw in Atlanta, is it just that no one else can compete on their level right now, regardless of who we're talking about? Well, did you have to be there in person to know that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. but just from what I saw, Adam, I mean, you know, that's my first time seeing him in person this year. I mean, Florida has a lot of impressive players, but it's like I was looking at the offensive line, the Alabama offensive line, and mm-hmm. I was kind of watching them closely during warm-ups, and one thing struck me was every guy up there seemed like very athletic beyond just being big and strong. They just moved a little different. You know, Florida has some of those guys and they can go 10 deep like that you know Ford has had a lot of injuries uh, this year on the offensive line and once you get deeper down the roster I mean it's with any team or most teams that you're going to see a little bit of difference I'm not for sure you see that when Alabama loses a guy they bring another guy and I mean they lost the Heisman Trophy winner last year Derrick Henry dominated that mm-hmm. game I didn't see much difference and they seem to have gotten Scarborough. better than they were <laughs> yeah, last year I mean year. I looked at both <laughs> as big as Derrick Henry might be faster where's the loss at <laughs> well, one of the things that really impresses me about them is also, Adam, is just there's not a showboat and stuff going on. Mm. It's so businesslike with these guys. I mean, it's just uh, they score a touchdown, they turn around, they're high five their teammates, and they're going. There's not a lot of you know the the look at me stuff. And again, that's that's reflective of the of the head coach in that regard. And I think what we're talking about here, I bet you, if we were doing this 2006 through 2008, a lot of people were talking about the Gators this way. Similar, you, sure. You looked at all those great players off those teams who went on to the NFL or were just great college football players. But what's really been impressive is the sustainability. What sure. these, and that's what Urban Meyer kind of talked about when he left here. I mean, you can build it sometimes, but it's hard to sustain. He's building it out there and sustaining it right now. And, the SEC is hoping that uh, somebody can you know, crack that foundation soon. SEC and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everybody. And while we're talking about everybody else, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the college football playoff as two long-tenured sports writers who've seen these systems come and go. You guys covered the Bowl Alliance. You covered the BCS. Now you cover this. What do you think about this system? Do you think it's at a, a good level right now, or does it need to get bigger and take in more, more factors? I would like to see eight. Eight and the conference champions are rewarded. Mm-hmm. And then they can figure out the wild card kind of thing after that. But because, uh, you know, you can't say that – I think it was Dabo Sweeney that was being – he's talking about, well, this is the great system because every game matters. Well, no, every game doesn't matter. Ohio State didn't play in the Big Ten Championship. Big Ten Championship so, apparently so, didn't matter. Yeah, right. Big Ten Championship didn't matter because neither of those teams are in it. So 
in a perfect world, and I don't know how I don't know how you line up another week of mm-hmm. college football. It's already up to if you win it all, you're playing 15 games. I don't know if, if Scott, you agree with me, but I, I just think I remember my time early on with Steve Spurrier. He won an 18 playoff back in the old days, and that's why he was so fired up about the SEC championship. This was going to be the first kind of step toward a playoff thing, and you know, four is better than none. Mm-hmm. And if you get go to eight, you're going to have a lot of teams complaining, just like being the the 69th and 70th team in the NCAA tournament sure. or what have you. But uh, I think if you could, if they could find a way where the the conference champion should, you know, regardless if you've got three losses or not, you're conference champion. And I think that there's some way that the a program that achieves that, and that's what everybody lines up to do when mm-hmm. they report to work in August to you know they're shooting for a conference championship and then whatever after that so that should mean more than does certainly should mean more than it did for the people from the big town well <laughs> my my uh, input on this matter is I I got on Facebook the other night and I have one really good friend who is a diehard Penn State fan so I log on to Facebook. <laughs> I must have gone. He must I, have had a, I a crazy instant, rant on there. I noticed an instant message popped up, and I knew exactly where this was going. <laughs> he was ticked off. He's like, how can this happen? And Make this right, Scott yeah, Carter. Fix this. I'm a little bit like Chris. I mean, I love the uh, fact that actually this happened this year because when this playoff system started with four teams, what, 2014, mm-hmm. I was ready for eight then. So I really think here we are in the third year and this controversy's already flared that conversation back up again. So I think it will expedite the process to get to eight because I think that's where it needs to be. That way you you will have all your conference champions. And it can champ- stop there. It can stop. Yeah, you'll have all your conference champions in. And if you look at most years, you can take the top eight and uh, realistically have a chance. To Nine start. and ten will be ticked off, but yeah. we'll live with that. Yeah, we'll live exactly. With mm-hmm. So I think eight's the perfect place. I think it's going to eventually get there. I think Penn State missing out this year is going to help uh, speed up the process. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all good with uh, – it's been fun the first few years with these four, but I think we'll see eight very soon. Before we move on to basketball, I want to get one quick thought from you guys on the bowl game. We'll talk more about this in our bowl preview. But the question everyone's asking right now about the quarterbacks is, do you take a red shirt off a freshman in the bowl game to then build toward the future, given where Florida's need is at that position? As, as we sit right now, I'm curious both of your perspectives on that idea and if you think that's the right direction. From where I stand, like if I'm the head coach of Florida, I don't because, I'm, you know, it's one game. I guess in some way you're, you can win maybe the public opinion right now going into that game by saying Franks or Trask is started. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I mean, in the big picture, it's one game. And you have a guy here who, you know, I'll snap will be if he does end up starting. You know, it's his last college game. So, you, or you have Luke Del Rio back. Yeah, but, you know, Felipe Franks went out there and had a great game and uh, throws five touchdown passes and they beat Iowa. Of course, that is a great way to go into the offseason. But, again, I just don't see one game. It's one game. It's a bowl game. And I think the most important thing the Gators can do right now is just recruit, build some depth and the uh, and try to get those players and get those guys ready to where they are going into next year. They're very comfortable with one of those guys or the third guy, we Jake Allen. Mm-hmm. One of the things in sports administration that you have to just uh, really tune out, it's it's or it's a impulse that you have to fight is reacting to the moment. And like Scott said, that is something that the fans want to see. But if you call Kyle Trask or Felipe Franks in the office and say, hey, I'm going to start one of you guys in the game. You're going to ask them to give up a whole year of college eligibility. Uh, now, is that fair? Is it? But is it fair to put them in that position? Because chances mm-hmm. are that they're, they're going to they're going to say yes. 
But in the bigger picture, what's what's better for those two guys? And like Scott said, I mean, it's one game, and yeah, you can win over the the, the orange and blue court of public opinion. But um, you know, how much further does it put you to next year? Just having these guys come out and take some snaps mm-hmm. against Iowa in the Outback Bowl. In a sane way of looking at it, I wouldn't think that that would be the best thing for this team. And you know, Austin Appleby's got him here, got him to this point. He won a big game at LSU. Uh, you know, he didn't do a whole lot in that game. He threw that 98-yard touchdown pass, but he's the guy who's kind of taken on that mantle. And I don't know if Luke Del Rio is going to be ready to play in that game or not. But uh, sounds like well, he's uh, he's coming along. Or I mean, McElwain was doesn't know specifically at least the other day when we last talked to him on Sunday, but. Sounds like he could be. Yeah, plus, let's say you do roll out Felipe Franks, and he has a bad game. Is his confidence shot? Is mm-hmm. ever, and now the fans are going, oh, he stinks. Let's move on to somebody else. And that's probably not fair either. And that conversation so, popped up in the course of the Alabama game, like on social media. So many people were like, put Franks in. I'm, th- I'm sitting there thinking. You're going to put Franks against that there, team? Yeah, against those cyborgs? Yeah, team in one situation, you probably don't want to put him in. It's, it's like taking him to the zoo and King <laughs> Kong yeah, is out yeah. of his yeah. cage. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's just uh, that's not the ideal scenario. <laughs> oh wow! So we'll we'll do more football in our in our bowl preview, but let's let's talk some basketball now because I think a lot of people are focused on the Gators going into Madison Square Garden against Duke and a, a big test. I mean, I don't know if it's quite as Herculean as trying to beat Alabama, but Duke is Duke, and mm-hmm. I mean they they fought very very valiantly, especially early in the game, and I think showed people a lot of flashes what they could be. My sense of standing down there on the floor at the beginning of that game and just Duke coming out and. They're an enormous team. It's just it's it's very similar to the whole Kentucky RO when they come mm-hmm. on the floor and you see just they're just a much bigger team. They look they got NBA size because they got NBA players, mm-hmm. guys that played so well against Florida in that game uh, Tuesday night are very likely be playing in the in the NBA this time next year, uh, playing in Madison Square Garden. But you know to Florida's credit, they gave a nice accounting for themselves in the first half. And one thing that the coaches talked about and the players talked about among themselves, there's going to be a run. There's going to be a run here. It's just like no different than going on the road in these places. And the run came at the worst possible time for Florida. You'd never want to let the team take off at the end of the first half and take that momentum in the locker room. And Florida was up by two, and then Duke goes on last five minutes of the game, or excuse me, of the half, a little 15-3 to run, take a 10-point lead and have That's a hard thing to, to fight back on, especially when you got – you got Luke Kennard going for his 29, and you got Emil Jefferson doing whatever you want down low, 11 of 14, 15 rebounds, mm. just kind of having his way against Florida Bigs, 24 points. And then Jason Tatum, who hadn't even played uh, until the game against Maine a couple nights before, hadn't even played this year, a true freshman, uh, comes in and gets 22. I think he had 16 in the second. This is a kid that, that Billy Don was recruiting very hard from the same high school that Brad Beal and David Lee went to. Um, good you know, pedigree. Yes, very good pedigree. So, uh, yeah, a guy that Florida was familiar with who was on this campus uh, when Mike White first got here for an official visit because he was still interested in coming to Florida. But instead he does his damage against Florida. And, again, Florida never didn't go away. Got it to six at one point in the mm-hmm. second half, a se- seven a couple times. But uh, there, were, there was no shame in what happened uh, in the Jimmy V Classic up there. And if nothing else, it was good experience. I tell you what, Keith Stone looked scared. Um, and that's good for him, I think, because he didn't look scared against Miami in front of like 500 people over in Orlando. But this was this was a little different venue, a little different forum for him to go out. And, you know, he'll learn from that. And now they'll see if they can take those things, whatever it was they learned against these good players, and uh, take it into their next game at Florida State. 
Is there too much to be made about playing in MSG and the bright lights and such a famous arena, or do you really think that matters? I mean, does that help some of these Gators, not just Keystone, but having big game experience against an opponent like Duke in a venue like that? It's There's just something about that place. I mean, you are, you're on Broadway, and the team and the coaches talked about, don't get caught up in all that. That was one of the goals, and it's just a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught up playing in this place, you know. Hey, I'm on national TV. There's Dick Vitale. I'm, a, you know, my parents, my heist, my AEU coach are saying, "Hey, man, <laughs> you're going against these guys. This is where you got to shine." And there is some. You really got to resist that. And I think, by and large, pretty much they they did a pretty good job of that. But yeah, Duke is so good, and they don't even have the best player. Their their best player is not even there. Harry Giles is the number one ranked player in the country. He's supposed to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He hadn't played yet. I saw the guy warming up. They say he's going to be the next Kevin Garnett. <laughs> So that's all that team well, that's needs. Scary. Is that's all that team needs now is Kevin Garnett sure. on the team. Okay. I think this, this. I think Duke sounds <laughs> wow. like the uh, basketball version of Alabama. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. certainly. It's certainly yeah. what they sound like this year. But you know, good experience for these guys. Kayvon Allen, I thought, acquitted himself very nicely. Um, he kept them in the game in the second half. I thought Casey Hill played pretty darn well. He made he made a couple mistakes. Maybe you know you're going to make mistakes against a team like that. He took a shot or two. Maybe that. Uh, he might have wanted to have back, but for guys like Kavarius Hayes, Canyon Berry, Keystone, you know that Justin Leon. I mean, they were, they were having some struggles defending those guys a little bit. So uh, look at the tape, see what you can learn from it, and see if you can move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I think the most telling. I wasn't at the game like Chris, but I did watch uh, Mike White's interviews. He left the court with Maria Taylor. <laughs> he said the best thing. I mean, it was very to the point. He said. They're really good. We're not as good. And I think a lot of coaches can say that. We would have won the game, but we didn't score as many points as they did. I think a lot of coaches will probably – they might not say that, but they'll be thinking that this year. And, uh, you know, but the Gators, like Chris said, it's early. They have a lot going on for them with the the new arena. Going over to Florida State on Sunday, I I look at that as an important game because, you know, they've lost, what, two in a row to them. And, uh, you know, it's one of those games where I would give them a quick boost right back after losing to Duke. And, especially with the uh, home arena opening in a couple weeks. You tell me if this is a fair assessment. I think what you can say so far about Mike White's team is that they've won all the games they're supposed to win, and they've competed really, really hard in the two games that people did not expect them to win against top 10 teams. Mm-hmm. The Florida State game sort of falls in between that. I don't think there's – is there a clear – you don't chalk it up in either column. It's sort of a – it's a toss-up type game to kind of see where you are. Well, i tell you what, Florida State has a bunch of guys also. They've, they had one of the best freshman cl- incoming freshman classes in the country. You got the Jonathan Isaac, the 6'10 forward down from IMG. McDonald's All-American. He's averaging 16 a game. I mean, these guys are a handful. And last year they had, they had uh, Dwayne Bacon came in here, and he was a guy who would have been a first-round draft pick, decided to go back to school, hit the shot with four seconds left. On a night, Kayvon Allen had 32 points. This guy was sensational, and he has been so far this year. But they got a lot of size. Uh, Scott pointed out they got a seven foot four guy. They got, uh, I think, another 6'11 and a couple 6'9 guys that are going to play. Um, Florida, last year, again, f- uh, lost with four seconds left. The year before that was the infamous own goal by Jake Kurtz in a game that was just kind of uh, uh, typical of what happened to that Florida team that last year of Billy Donovan. So Florida State's a very good team, probably will be hovering around the rankings if they're not ranked it this week um, most of the season. Um, a good challenge for them, and they'll have an idea of how hard they need to play and how mistake-free they need to play. They really need to play better. When it comes to rebounding the ball in the defensive end, they're giving up too many offensive rebounds. And the other night, uh, uh, Luke Kennard made them pay. A couple times, offensive rebounds were kickouts to that guy for a three-point shot. And I tell you what, they really moved the ball well. And all coaches talk about extra pass. This Duke team that I watched the other night, they extra pass the extra pass. And they get better shots out of it. So uh, 
Florida was one of the best defensive teams uh, statistically in terms of defensive efficiency going into that game. You know, Duke carved them up pretty good. Uh, they were like number one in the country in offensive efficiency. But I go back to that game, I, I'm just looking at these stats, something I didn't point out. I mean, Florida, you know, 43-43 in the second half, scoring 43 points against Duke, matched them in the second half. You know, good accounting for himself, some positives to take out of that. But just know that, you know, there are mistakes that will cost you down the line, and they got to clean up some things with that. And Florida State would be a good place to start. Florida women's basketball had a breakthrough season last year and were rewarded with their first preseason ranking in 15 years. As they barreled toward their home debut on December 28th and the start of SEC play on New Year's Day, we took some time to sit down with Amanda Butler to give fans an in-depth look at this year's team one month into the action. We began by asking Coach Butler what the uninitiated should know about her squad. Well, when you you know when you're putting a, a team together, obviously that's a continual process. It's not like it, you sit in a um, you know in a meeting room and go, okay, what's our plan for next year? Let's recruit you know Susie, Sally, and Karen. It, it doesn't work out that way. It's it's always evolving. It's always changing. And then I think the the most fun part of that whole experience of like, what does my team look like, and what does this group look like that we've discovered is that we've put together is actually the discovery process and and how they come together and how they evolve as a group, their personalities combined with their skill sets, and um, and then as coaches we get a chance to kind of step back from that and go, okay, now what type of systems, um, what type of, of philosophies are going to best serve this group and maximize their talent, maximize their experience while they're here as a student athlete. Um, having said all that, uh, you know, I think you also have to coach to your personality. So everyone uh, in the recruiting process was someone that we felt like met that aggressive profile, someone who, you know, is, is going to be comfortable attacking the basket, um, confident with the ball in their hands, and um, somebody who's um, eager to play defense on every possession. You're now a good bit into your 10th year with the program. Over that decade, how do you think the job has changed, and how have you changed? Well, that's not a short answer. Um, <laughs> ten years is is a, is a long time, and then ten years at the same time is the blink of an eye. It's hard to imagine that I've been blessed to be here um, that long and, and have as many uh, wonderful people around me in the form of, of players and, and staff. I think the program's changed significantly. You know, when uh, over the ten year window, we um, you know came into a situation looks uh, very very different today than it did then, and that, like I said, that's a lot of credit to all the, the folks that have passed through these doors and, and tried to make their mark in a positive way. Myself, I hope I'm a little bit wiser. I hope I'm a little bit smarter. Um, I know that uh, I've learned a lot uh, through good times and, and through bads, and I'm uh, through the bad times as well, and I'm, I'm very thankful for both. This is your second year with this particular staff intact. So what advantages do you have now in year two? with a consistent group that maybe you didn't have in the first year? Well, I think um, they probably have the advantage of knowing me a year better and trying to figure out, you know, some of my idiosyncrasies and and, and how that they can be great assistant coaches. Um, And for me, it's almost like having, you know, a new player that you know is really, really talented. And, again, you just want to make sure you're doing everything you can as as a leader to put that that person – with the skills that they possess, the, the specialness that they possess in a position to succeed and feel fulfilled and contribute, obviously, to the bigger picture. Um, I think we have the best staff in America from our students 
and that work tirelessly and they have the benefit of having some tremendous role models in uh, our full-time staff from our administrative positions and Lonnie McQuaid and, and uh, Shelly Greenman and um, Serena Wilson to um, our actual coaches and video coordinator and Ryan Gensler. We, we just have quality individuals that have a heart for people and uh, who have a special skill set as, as it relates to basketball. As people learn more about this team, they'll notice there's a real international influence between Eliana Kristanaki from Greece and Elif Portokol from Turkey. When people see these players, and I talk to them, the first thing I always say is, well, how'd they end up here? So what, what's the answer for the international exploration, if you will, over the last few years with your program? Well, it's not something that's unique to us. Um, if you, you, know, you look around the country there, it's, it's becoming very common for international players to, to be playing domestically. You know, obviously our, our country leads the world in basketball, and so if you're a little girl in Spain or you're a little girl uh, in you know, a European country, you um, and you want to be a big-time basketball player, then a lot of them, that's what they aspire to do is come here and play. On our end, there are a few different ways that, that we're able to, to locate people and, and then figure out whether they're a good fit for the University of Florida and, and our team culture in particular. Um, we have the benefit of having a lot of professional players that are playing overseas, and occasionally they'll run across um, someone in their communities and say, hey, this is – this is someone you guys need to get some film on. And then there are other really reliable scouting services now of uh, people that we develop relationships with that um, are there for, you know, not just the sole purpose of trying to help those little girls in, in European countries and overseas in other countries, but um, that's a big part of, you know, what they're doing professionally. And they make it easy for us to get to know them. They connect us with their personal information. They help the, the girls and their families understand the difference in the different divisions and, uh, you know, which teams are top 25, which teams are top 100, what does that mean, and then also understand what the financial package looks like for them. Full scholarship is something that doesn't necessarily translate everywhere mm -hmm. as, uh, as readily as it does here. Um, so there's an education piece on, on both ends of it. But I think um, ultimately when you have people like Eliana Kristanaki and, and you have people like Elif Portugal and and then also we have uh, Funda, who is mm -hmm. another one of our international products. She came to us by way of Utah State, so that's a little bit different. I just believe they were meant to be here, you know, and I think this is a great place and great places attract great people. It was funny traveling with the team during Thanksgiving because that's not a concept that they have in other parts of the world. So seeing Eliana and seeing Alif go through that, I wonder from your standpoint, how much of a responsibility is there to help them in the ways that, you know, that the culture may be different and not just the language barriers, but also just everyday norms that we've come to expect that they might not be familiar with. You know, I think their teammates do a great job with that. I, I think a lot of the cultural things that you experience when you go into a different country, uh, very often that's going to be in your living environment. And so I think their roommates and, you know, they're on the plane with their teammates or in the back of the bus with their teammates and different things come up. Um, I think that's probably where a lot of the sharing, and I think it's a two-way street as well. You know, we have a great benefit of also learning more about Greek culture and Turkish culture um, and the way things are done in Australia. And, I, you know, I think this is a, a really special time in your life uh, at being a, not just a college athlete but a college student. And um, I know for me, and I'm, I'm sure you would echo it as well, it was a time in my life where I was just exposed to things that I didn't even know existed. You learn sure. so much, and most of those lessons come through other people. And so I think it's a, a tremendous opportunity 
uh, for our international kids, but then also for our American kids, just to learn different things about different parts of the world and be better because of it. As you look at this team in particular and, and new pieces, what have you seen from your freshman class so far? I mean, we're almost, believe it or not, like a third of the way through this season, yeah, which is wow. hard to believe. But yeah. what have you seen from them in terms of their development and, and their areas of improvement? Well, all of them um, have made tremendous strides since they've gotten here. And, you know, like I said, I have an incredible staff. Uh, I mentioned our immediate staff, but also um, our training staff and our strength, uh, strength coaches. Um, Tyler Stewart has, has made a big impact on, on those guys as well. They just grow every day. Like I said, they're, I think they're in an environment that promotes growth, and they're surrounded by people that are going to push them to their growth. However, they are so coachable and eager to learn, eager to grow, eager to mature, not only as basketball players but as women. And uh, so it's, it's fun to be able to come alongside them and, and their journey journey of transitioning from high school girls into college women. On the flip side of that, you've got a senior in Ronnie Williams who's had so much attention on her pretty much since before she got here, being the first McDonald's All-American to sign with the program. And now, as we see her moving through the middle part of her senior year, seems to be a real desire, a real aggressiveness that maybe wasn't there before. What have you seen out of her and how that senior label is impacting the way she's played? Well, it, you know, it impacts every kid that way. I mean, I would, I would venture that if you went to any, any program and um, just viewed uh, their group of seniors versus that same group when maybe they were sophomores or, and certainly not when they were freshmen, there's just there's an awareness that you um, only get with experience. And the more years you have underneath your belt, the, the more your awareness of this doesn't last forever and how special it is. And then that's coupled with an urgency um, of this doesn't last forever. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'm not going to be able to play Florida State again. This is going to be the last time. And, sure. you know, what an amazing opportunity. And so, um, you know, I think all of those things with Ronnie are very, very apparent. And, uh, and then also, you know, Ronnie aspires to play basketball at the next level. And she also understands that as much as she wants to get out of this year and bring to her university, you know, she also has a responsibility to prepare herself for, for what's next. And I think she's doing all of those um, with a great deal of grace and at the same time um, possessing, like you said, that aggressiveness. It's just kind of this very acute awareness of this moment and making the most of this moment because I'm not going to have this moment again. One of the reasons some people might not have seen the Gators play just yet is because the Gators haven't played in Gainesville. This has been a very unique non-conference schedule due to the renovation. So I, I know there's obviously cons to it, but I'm curious for pros as well that you found through this long journey uh, outside of Gainesville. Well, I, you know, whenever you travel together, you, you're just, you know, spending more time together, you know, have more of that intimate connection. You're, you're sharing every meal together. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, um, every time you walk outside of your hotel room, uh, you're joining the group and you're going somewhere together. And so, um, I think this group is really special because I think that, uh, a lot of different people would, be sick of each other by now and and this group just seems to be getting closer and closer together and uh, learning how to appreciate each other on different levels learning more about each other and and I think that's um that's definitely a positive um you know you mentioned the uh, the internationals and our our American kids you know I just think that there there's so much they're learning about each other uh, that it's it's drawing them closer together it's fortifying our chemistry and, and building our culture Having said that, I'm sure you're happy that the new Exact Tech Arena at the Stephen Seal Collins Center is very close to being ready. We're just a few weeks away. Can you talk about the impact that that will have on the program to have a, a new building and something 
really nice and shiny you can show off to people. Yeah, you know, it's something we've been talking about for a while now, and we've had um, these pretty awesome 3D images to show, and then some we got some right over here. It looks yeah, very nice. pretty cool. <laughs> um, but to actually have something that's tangible that you can walk into and and tour, you know, take pictures in and, and really imagine yourself walking across uh, the floor, whether it's um, an out, a starting lineup or walking across the floor, imagining graduation. Um, I think it's going to have a profound impact. And um, so I'm excited for that, for our new players coming in and for our future players uh, that we're still recruiting. But I'm also really excited for our fans because, mm-hmm. as uh, you know, we talk a lot about the teams traveling, us in men's basketball, uh, volleyball, the accommodations that they had to make. Um, our fans are having to make accommodations as well, and I know they're going to be just as excited, uh, if not more, to get in that building and, and to really create history in there, to create an environment that continues to make the Stephen C. O'Connell Center a place that people don't want to come and play. What has most impressed you about your team in terms of the way they've played? What have you been most pleased with? Well, you know, there's uh, that's not a short list. There's there's a lot of things that you go into a season that you're very hopeful about um, as a group and then as a coaching staff. And, um, you know, and then there's things that just pop up that, you know, you go, wow, that was that was pretty cool. And um, I, I think the thing that is – uh, the most rewarding um, for uh, something that we dedicate a great deal of time to is just how strong our culture is and the impact that our upperclassmen are having uh, this year, not just on our underclassmen, but on our program and on our team and on the way that we operate as a program every single day. Um, it's it's something that's not a surprise, but at the same time, uh, it's very rewarding. And it, it makes what we're doing the meaningfulness of it go way beyond wins and losses. And obviously we want to win as much as we can and, and we aspire to be champions. That's our goal every year. Uh, but the manner in which you're doing that, the manner in which you're pursuing some of those things that you hope happen and you hope that you can create is really, really significant. And uh, the manner in which this group is pursuing wins and losses and pursuing their best and uh, continuing to, uh, you know, come to practice every single day. The attitude, the spirit that this group possesses uh, is really impressive, and, and it's a privilege to be part of it. I know as coaches you're always looking for what you can do better as well. So at this stage, what have you really identified as things that you want to improve on and you need your team to make some strides in? Well, the you know, on the court, We've got to do a little bit better job of, um, you know, managing our foul situation. We've the past few games have have found ourselves with people sitting on the bench in the first half with with two fouls, or playing in the you know in the fourth quarter with four fouls, and you know, and it's it's that's mentally that's tough. It kind of compromises you. You second guess things and how aggressive you should be, and uh, so you know it's, it's very difficult to bring your best with when you don't have a clear mind in that regard. So we've got to do a better job of that. Um, We've got to be a little bit better rebounders out of our uh, zone defense. When we choose to go zone, that can't be a liability for us, you know. And then I think that we've we've got to just continue to dig our heels in and, and finish games strong. Um, you know, some really nice wins that we've had this year at TC. I mean, at um, UTC. Um, you know, over in Ocala against Temple. Long Beach State was a, a good example as well. We had uh, you know fourth quarters that really define the game and uh, and our mm-hmm. losses we've lost those fourth quarters and so we need to find a little bit more consistency in the end of the game um, in a variety of ways as we sit here now you're preparing for your biggest test of the season to this point which is florida state going the road to tallahassee 
What have you seen from the Seminoles? They got a lot of headlines at the beginning of the year for almost knocking off UConn. What have you seen from them on tape that's so impressive? They're very good. I mean, they're very good. Uh, when I say very good, they're very talented. They each play their, their role, their respective roles very well. Um, you know, it's a credit to Sue and her staff because you there's a lot of those same players because they are very senior and, and, and junior heavy. Uh, but there's there's great improvement in those kids from what their games looked like last year, which was not bad. Um, <laughs> but to, to see them, you know, go from being a very good team last year and a very good guard or very good post last year to even a better guard or post this year is, you know, is a credit to their staff. But um, they uh, they're experienced. Um, they're playing with a great deal of confidence. They're shooting the ball really well, and um, you know we we know it's going to be a you know great challenge. And that's going to do it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, we encourage you to subscribe to Gator Tales on the podcast app of your choice and leave us a review to help the only official podcast of the Gators continue to grow. Make sure to check out the Gator basketball teams as they both head west this week to take on the Seminoles, with the women getting the first crack on Thursday night and the men following up on Sunday afternoon. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Tallahassee.